here, the faithful few. It's uh, the summer, so there's lots of families away, and, uh, but it's good that you're here. We're pleased that you're here. Sometimes church is can called to be like a hospital, uh, so where all the broken come, where all the ill come, where all the weak come. So if you're one of those, if you're feeling broken, if you're feeling weary, if you're feeling tired, then welcome, because you're in great company, because we're all a little bit like that today. Okay, uh, this morning we're going to begin a new series just for the month of July, and I want to give you a heads up. We are going to get emotional during this series, and I want to give you the following warning. The following series contains passages that may evoke tears, laughter, joy, pain, and intense vulnerability, and is not suitable for those who are emotionally challenged, the British and most Canadians, except those in Quebec. Congregation discretion advised. So buckle up, brace yourselves, get in touch with your French-Canadian side this morning because we're getting all emotional. Why? Trevor, why are we getting emotional? Isn't this meant to be church? We don't get emotional in church. In fact, the closest we get to emotional is if the popcorn runs out before the end of the sermon. Well, let me explain. We're going to get emotional because our short series in July is going to be about songs. Songs for the summer. Songs are a huge part of our everyday life. Songs are all around us. You get in the car, turn on the radio, and there's songs. They're, they're in the shops, they're in restaurants, they're in coffee shops. Stay in Starbucks long enough at the moment, and you will hear Frank Sinatra asking you to fly him to the moon again and again and again. You can carry songs with you wherever you go. Who remembers these? Does anyone remember these? Thank you. Yes, those of you who are probably under 30 think, what on earth is that? That is a Sony Walkman. And I remember being so cool walking around with one of the Sony Walkmans with the cassettes uh, on my belt. And they were so heavy that it almost made you limp, didn't it? On, on one side. But now you can carry over 10,000 songs with you on your phone. And you can listen to them whenever. No teenager would be seen dead now walking without earbuds in their ear. I read an article this week that said that there, apparently there are like uh, bones growing in teenagers uh, because they're using their phone so much and they have these earbuds in so much. I kid you not. Sometime soon, kids will actually be born with 
the earbuds in. Laupi, your child, when she comes out, will have earbuds in her ear. We cannot do without them because songs are everywhere. And songs also play an important part in our lives and in our journeys. We associate certain songs with special or significant moments. Perhaps you have a song that reminds you of of that first kiss. Or maybe that first awkward dance in grade five when you were dancing with the girl who's two foot higher than you. Or maybe uh, there's a song that reminds you of a difficult time. Maybe you have a song that reminds you of a lonely time. Perhaps it reminds you of a a lost friend or a lost family member. The flamboyant British theologian, Sir Elton John, once said, Saturday night's all right for fighting. Must have been to Chilliwack. But more importantly, he said, he also said, this is your song. What is your song? We all have a song. What's your song? What's your song? Tell me, what, what's, what's your song that reminds you of, of something? Stairway to Heaven. What other songs? Wish You Were Here. It will be. That's a great song. <laughs> What's that, Phil? For Linda and I, I think I may have told you this before, our song is True by Spandau Ballet. You remember that song? Who remembers that song? Yeah? What's what's so funny about that? (laughs) It's a great song. That's our song. Every time that song is played, we both stop and we gaze into each other's eyes and have a moment which can be embarrassing, especially if you're the checkout Safeway. But for all of us, songs play an important part in our lives. Why? Why is that? Why are songs such an integral part of our existence? Well, because songs bring our emotions to the surface, don't they? Songs touch our very souls. Songs stir in us happiness or sadness, joy or or pain or rejection. So what happens is when we fall in love, what do we do? We listen to him because it makes us feel all warm and fuzzy. And then when we get dumped... We listen to Adele and wallow in our grief. And when we ha- we're happy, we listen to uh, Pharrell Williams, don't we? And we dance around the living room. And, and when we're depressed, we'll listen to Pink Floyd. <laughs> and get even more depressed. Songs 
stir the emotions. You see, we don't generally listen to a song and dissect it mechanically, do we? You know, the song True doesn't stir me because, you know, that bass at the very beginning, it's just the right key. Or those harmonies, they're absolutely pitch perfect. Or it's in 2-4 time, whatever that means. You don't, that doesn't stir me. The song stirs me because it strikes me in the heart. It makes me cry. It makes me fondly remember times of youth and love. It produces a wave of emotion. That's why songs are important. And so that's why for the next four weeks, we're going to look at some songs that stir our emotion. Songs for the summer. But these songs won't be found in the gospel according to St. John Lennon. Or the epistle written by the Apostle Paul of McCartney. I'm surprised he's not here this morning. He was around last night, apparently. These songs we're going to look at are actually in here. (laughs) Seriously? Yeah, seriously. Can I suggest that perhaps some of the greatest songs in history were written over 4,000 years ago? Before Lennon and McCartney, before Taylor Swift, before Ed Sheeran, there were songs written that spoke into hearts and stirred emotions. And they're found in the book of Psalms. The Psalms in the Bible contain 150 songs. That's what the word psalm means. It just basically means songs. They were written to be sung. And they were written from the heart in order to stir our hearts, to touch our emotions. You see, many people believe uh, that the Bible is a stuffy book full of ancient, boring, irrelevant stuff. But this book is alive and it's full of emotion. And it's so relevant to the things that we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. This book of songs, this book of Psalms, talks of love and of heartache and of suffering and of pain and joy. You see, the, the Psalms, or these songs, weren't written primarily to voice theological truth, even though they do. They weren't uh, primarily to reinforce the characteristics of God, although they do. It wasn't primarily to instruct us in the way to live, although, again, they do. They were primarily written by folk who were just merely expressing the emotions that they were going through at particular times of their lives. That's why we love them, because we can connect with them. And that's why they're still read and enjoyed today. And that's why for the next four weeks, we're going to get emotional as we go through these songs. And this morning, I want to start the series by introducing you to a song 
that stirs the very deepest emotion. It's a song that touches each and every one of us because it speaks about one of our very most basic needs and desires in life. The desire for relationships and intimacy. Listen to this song. It's Psalm 63. I'm just going to read the first few verses. You can follow it along with me if you want. Psalm 63. It says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I'll lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Can you feel the emotion in those words? Can you feel the emotion of the writer who's David? You see, this song was written by David who was searching for intimacy with God. David wrote this psalm at a difficult time in his life. We're not sure exactly what was going on with him, but he wrote it, we're told, in the wilderness, in the desert of Judah, And people were trying to destroy his life. He's alone. He's alone. And in that desperate place, he seeks intimacy with God. And you know what? I believe that that's our deepest need. In those same desperate places, we cry out, For that same intimacy. To know love and connection at the deepest level. Why do I believe that that is our most basic and deepest need? I'm going to tell you. I've mentioned this before. But Forrest Gump got it wrong. Life is not like a box of chocolates. Life is like a donut. Do you know why life is like a donut? No, you don't. Well, I'll tell you. Now, I know that that will please some of you, that life is like a donut. But why? Because like a donut, we all have a hole. The hole is in our hearts. 
Now, don't worry, it's not a physical hole, although I have been told recently that one in four people do have a hole in their hearts, physically. But this isn't a physical hole. The hole we have in our hearts is a spiritual one. It's an emotional one. Something is missing from each one of our lives. And that something is needed to fill in the hole. Think of it as your own personal Timbit. You need something that's going to fit into that hole in your heart. And that Timbit is intimacy with God. You see, we are all created for intimacy. You might be the most cold-hearted, isolated, unfeeling individual... But I guarantee you that at your deepest level, you crave intimacy. You crave an intimate relationship with the one who knows you best. If you don't believe that, and if you're skeptical, hang in there, because I'm going to persuade you in two minutes. Okay? We're going to go on a journey. I'm going to take you out of the church. We're going to go down Main Street. Out of Vancouver, we're going to head across Canada, second to the right, and straight on till morning, until we reach the center of the universe. (laughs) Not Toronto. (laughs) No, the real center of the universe. Do you know what is at the center of the universe? A relationship. We're told in Scripture that God, the creator of all that is, does not exist in isolation. It says this in Scripture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. And then we're told the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So from the beginning of time, and at this very moment, and until the end of time, at the center of the universe is a relationship, a triune relationship between God the Father, God the Son, And God the Holy Spirit. That's the mystery of the Trinity. I'm not going to get into how that all works together. God is one person but three. We'll talk about that another time. But bear with me. Now we're told that this God in three persons is love. It says in scripture that God is love. God is perfect love. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is love. So at the center of the universe is a relationship, a relationship that is perfect love, an intimate love. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and the love between the Father and the Son is embodied in the Spirit of God. It's at the center, it's like a moving, living passionate, intimate circle of perfect love. Perfect love. 
Try to get your head around that for a minute. I know it's tough. That in itself is quite a thought, isn't it? It's an amazing picture. But wait, listen to this. You see, we're told that we're created in the image of God. Which means that he wants us to experience the fullness of his presence. The fullness of his love. Staggering in itself. But what that means is that we're created to to be in, to join in with this loving, intimate relationship that is at the center of the universe. We're invited to share that intimacy. The intimacy of love. You and I were born to fully know and love God. And to be fully known and loved by God. Forget theology for a moment. Forget doctrine. Forget all the questions that you might have about religion and Christianity and faith. That, in a nutshell, is why you and I are on this earth. To know and love God and to be known and be loved by God. That's it. That's it. That's our most basic need. Try to get your head around that on a sleepy Sunday morning. Mind-blowing. Okay. I might get that. I might understand that. But why then don't we experience that? Why don't we experience the fullness of that love? That f- the fullness of intimacy? Because... And you know the story that when sin entered the world, when we decided to turn our back on God, we turned our back on that relationship and said, you know what, we don't need you. We can do this thing called life on our own without you. What that did, when that happened, we became separated from God. We became separated from that relationship, from that intimate relationship. We were no longer able to participate in that intimacy. And that produced the hole in our hearts. We have something missing now in our lives. We need that wonderful intimacy with the living God, that feeling of being totally one. Our life is not complete without it. So what we do, we we look for it, we yearn for it. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to reconcile that relationship, to enable us to come back to God in that, uh, to bring us back into that intimate relationship. But as Saint Bono once said, for some of us, we still haven't found what we're looking for. We're still searching for that intimacy to fill the hole. And that is what this song that David wrote, is all about. It's that search for intimacy with God. And there's three things, three quick things that we learn from this song about pursuit of intimacy. Firstly, you have to desire it. You have to desire it. He says in verse 1, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly... Will I seek you? 
An intimate relationship with God doesn't just fall on us and hit us on the head and think, oh, that's intimate. No, you have to go out and you have to seek it. You have to earnestly desire intimacy with God. David was desperate for God. The Hebrew words used here for earnestly and seek are um, words that were used for someone hunting, a starving man hunting for food. So this is the picture here of David. He's hunting, he's pursuing and seeking God with all his might. He knows he needs it. He has this deep desire to have fellowship and intimacy with God. What are you like when you desperately want something? I'm going to talk a lot about Linda this morning because Linda's my wife and I love her the most. But Linda loves chocolate. Sometimes she's desperate for chocolate. And she is a thing possessed when she doesn't think there's any chocolate in the house. She will be hunting in all the cupboards. She'll be looking behind the sofa, under the sofa, under the, the cushions, under the bed. She'll be looking on top of the fridge. She'll be looking all under the fridge. By the cat food. I mean, she is a thing possessed. She's desperately seeking chocolate. What is it that you're desperately seeking? There is always something. We all have something that we seek and desire to fill that hole in our heart. To find meaning in life. Maybe... I've got to get a great degree. That's it. Got to get that. Or, oh, I've got to get a good job. And then, you know, I've got to have all the trappings. I've got to have the car, the house, the, the holidays, the whatever. I've got to have that. I mean, I've got to have a spouse. I've got to have kids. I've got to, I've got to have that. I'm desiring that. I've got to earnestly seek that. And, and what happens is that we earnestly seek them, and sometimes we find them. Only to discover that at the end, they don't ultimately satisfy. They're good in of themselves, but they don't ultimately satisfy. Why? Because we're created to earnestly desire an intimate relationship with our Creator, our Heavenly Father. So firstly, we have to desire it. Secondly, intimacy comes from a desire to have a personal relationship. Look again at verse 1. David says, God, you are my God. My God. How many people in your life can you call my? If you don't know me well, you've heard me talking about my Linda or, or my Bethany or my Amy or my Hannah or my Sam. And they're my wife and my kids. Why can I call them my? Because I have a close relationship with them. I wouldn't say my Justin Trudeau. I wouldn't say my Boris Johnson. I most definitely wouldn't say my Boris Johnson. Why can't I say that? Because, thankfully, I don't have a close, intimate relationship with them. 
And in the same way, we cannot have an intimate relationship with God until and unless we can call him mine. My God. You see, before I came to faith, I thought God was someone that you just read about. And you had head knowledge. And uh, you kept all of his rules so that you kept him happy. And if he was happy, he'd give you a good life. That's what I thought. But what sort of relationship is that? It's like me first meeting Linda and saying, you know, as this vision of beauty I saw across the dance floor and I went up to her and I said, will you go out with me? And you know, maybe one day I want to marry you. And she says to me, hang on a minute, here's a book about me, and at the end of the book there's two spreadsheets which show all the do's and don'ts, all the things that you can do and, and not do, all the things I like and I dislike. Read that and then come back to me. What sort of relationship would that be? God doesn't want that sort of relationship with us. That sort of relationship, you see, doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fill the hole. God, the Almighty, the creator of the universe, calls us into a close, personal relationship. To know him fully. And for him to know us fully. Isn't that amazing? Get your heads around that a moment, that God wants that from us. Little old me. So we need to earnestly seek intimacy with God, which means seeking a personal relationship with him. And then finally David tells us that to foster that deep, intimate relationship, we need to spend time. We need to spend time we cannot foster a relationship of intimacy without spending time with someone, can we? So David spends time with God in two ways. He says he, he spends them praising and meditating. It says this in, in verse 3, 4, and 5. My lips will glorify you. I praise you as long as I live. And in your name I lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. Praise is a sure way of drawing us near to God. Coming together here each Sunday or praising individually throughout the weeks help us to rejoice in who God is. Rejoice in his goodness. Rejoice in his love for us. Rejoice in his amazing creation. And that's what we do, isn't it? When we love someone deeply, I did that with Linda when she was at university. We didn't have email then, so I sent her letters. And I'd write in all these letters, I'd write all these soppy stuff, saying how beautiful she was. You know, like, what I love most about her, you know, her hair was like a cascading waterfall. Her eyes were like diamonds that sparkle. Her teeth are like stars, they come out at night. Praising, <laughs> praising, praising brings us closer. 
doesn't it? It brings us closer. It makes us dwell on why we love. Praising God for his creation is a wonderful way to foster that relationship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for these mountains. Thank you, Lord, for this water. Thank you, Lord, for the snow. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for the sunshine. It brings us closer to God when we praise. And then meditation. David says in verse 6, I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches. God was constantly in his thoughts. He meditated on God. He took time to consider God. He listened to God. He spoke with God in the times of quiet, in the middle of the night. David's whole song is an act of communication. He's speaking to God. You see, a relationship cannot grow if the people involved do not communicate with each other. Not communicate when you just want something, but communicate tender thoughts and words of love. Do you remember when you were young and in love? Michael, do you remember that? No? Were you ever young? Were you ever in love? No, no, I'm going to with your wife sitting next to you. But there were times when you're young and in love, what do you do? You get on the phone and you chat with the person that you love. How long are you on the phone for? Hours. Hours. What are you talking about? I don't know. Nothing. Nothing really. But do you see? Those times are crucial for building a relationship, just being with someone. Sometimes we just need to be in the presence of God to get close to him. Ever been in a place with someone that you love where you actually don't need to say anything? Where silence isn't awkward? You know, you don't need to do anything or watch anything or ask for anything. Just lying there in the sun, enjoying the presence of someone. That is what David is seeking in this song. He just wants to be in the presence of God. He just wants to be in his Why does David earnestly desire this intimacy? Why does he desire this personal relationship with God? Why does he desire to spend time with God? Because this intimacy, this intimate relationship, David realizes is what life is all about. He says this in verse 3. Because your love is better David knows. He's saying, you know, when I'm with you, when I'm having that intimate relationship with you, I'm alive. I've never felt more alive. I feel fulfilled. This is where I am most. This is who I am meant to be in your presence at the center of the universe in a relationship of love 
is no better place. What a wonderful song. What a wonderful song. It's a song that stirs our emotions. It's a song that strikes at the heart of who we are and why we are. It's a song that reminds us of what life is all about. Seeking intimacy with the one who knows us and loves us. What are you seeking this morning? What are you trying to fill that tin-bit-sized hole in your heart with? Maybe you need to seek intimacy. Maybe you need to seek the relationship of love that sits at the center of the universe. Then maybe you need to sing this song. Let's pray. Spend a moment just sitting in the presence of God. And allow him to speak words of love and encouragement and comfort into your life. not alone, God says. Cast your cares and worries on me, God says. Come to me if you're weary and broken and tired and I'll give you rest. Thank you that you are love. You are perfect love. And Father, I thank you that you call us into that loving relationship with you. Father, it's not about keeping rules. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's about loving you. Father, I pray for those of us who have, have not come into that relationship. Maybe we have a head knowledge of you. But Lord, you call us into a deeper relationship. Father, may you stir our hearts today. May you stir our emotions. And may we seek earnestly.